Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. And if you notice uh, a bit of unseemly haste in today's pod, that's because Kieran has tickets for the Euro final at Wembley. Um, and also, Kieran, I suppose, because we're recording before it, we should cover both tabloid bases just in case. So well done. Well done, the Lionesses. What a brilliant performance. It's been fantastic. Or, oh, what the, why they let us down like just like the men <laughs> what's going on lionesses slaughtered by the frau lines why are they why are they not called the frau lionesses surely the frau lionesses would be, <laughs> that is excellent yes. be a great name for the women's gender <laughs> women's, uh, yes it's been whatever happens today Kieran I think we can agree it's been uh, a rather special tournament actually uh, it's been very yeah. good and hopefully it will be a brilliant staging post for women's football and we can get attendances up at the WSL and Championship Games Yes it, it, it's an opportunity uh, it, it's still a challenge uh, as far as the women's game is concerned to uh, build up interest in terms of people physically attending the game mm. but uh, if uh, if if the FA take advantage of this and, I'm, and they, they do have plans I can assure you of that um, and, and we can make the WSL competitive as well because I think the, the big fear is that it becomes dominated by three or four clubs yes. and building up a fan base for anything other than those three or four big clubs, it would therefore become very difficult. Is the Baroness going with you today? She is, she is. So, yeah, we both get our England shirts and uh, uh, re- really looking forward to it because, as, as you said, it's been... Uh, it's been a fantastic tournament. Quality of the football has been excellent. Some of the goals have been uh, off off the scale. Mm. Um, and uh, look, yeah, if you don't want to watch it, don't watch it. I I I don't watch I don't watch uh, lacrosse. I don't necessarily watch Formula One. But I don't I don't slag off people that do. <laughs> that's that's what I don't understand about uh, the the reaction of 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 some blokes who just. Seem seem very angry about it. Oh, when I last checked, there were there were there were four hundred and twenty nine alternative stations you could be watching this <laughs> afternoon when the match is on. Just choose one of them. Oh, it's not fourth down your throat. Or you could go for a walk, read a book, all sorts of things. Yes. Uh, surprisingly violent game, lacrosse, as it happens. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. lethal. Yeah, very good. Oh, um, yeah. I'm glad the Baroness is going. So um, everybody listening to this on Monday, if you noticed a one woman pitch invasion at the end of the game, you see that's you know <laughs> who it was. Uh, it's questions day. We've got some really good questions. And the first one comes from George Rylat, um, talking of Wembley. Is it more financially beneficial to finish in an automatic promotion spot or to finish in the playoffs and then win them due to the benefits of playing more games, playing at Wembley, TV money, etc.? Very, very marginally it is because uh, there will be money given by uh, Sky uh, to, first of all, the the playoff semi-finalists, which... By, by definition, will include the finalists. Mm. Um, uh, so, so you get a little bit of money from that. You might sell some more merchandise, especially if you if you reach the final. So there, there's the profits from that. There's there's the interest in the town. You might get a couple of you know short term sponsorship deals on on the back of it for the final. Um, the the uh, the way that it's normally done in, in terms of the Wembley money, and, and this is sort of a gentleman's agreement, so uh, it's not being done by every single club, uh. but the, the winner normally uh, sets aside their share of the receipts from the, the final at Wembley and gives them 
to the loser oh, on the okay. grounds that they're just about to receive a hundred million pound check from the Premier League, um, and, and therefore, uh, you know, and I think that w- that was set up a few years ago. Um, it's 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 not enshrined, uh, but most clubs uh, do it. Uh, you know, it's. It's it's the equivalent of yeah you know, when yeah you know, we've I've lost in cup finals and when when the, when the opposite when the opposing player when you when you're sitting on the pitch crying comes and ruffles your hair uh, it, it's it's a bit like that so it's it's not a, not a huge consolation but it's it's a I think it's it's a, it's one of the good things about football when it does happen. Do you know I think that's one of the single most annoying things about football and I'm glad I was never good enough to be a professional footballer because I've had so many if I ever got to a cup final. And I was sitting on the pitch, lost in my own thoughts, and the other team's centre half came and ruffled my hair. I would spark him out. <laughs> I, I, I don't understand why they just sit there and go and just give a little weary nod rather than going, don't patronise me yet. Um, I suppose the downside, though, to winning the playoffs, Kieran, is you then have about four weeks less than the other clubs to sort out new transfers. It, it, and it, Exactly. So, uh, you know, any. Any short-term financial benefit is by far offset by the fact that you go into that Wembley final and the the finance director and the manager are fully aware that they've got two budgets mm. for the following season. Um, and as soon as you are promoted, and remember, some clubs are promoted before the end of the season. Uh, yeah, we, 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 we're, we're aware of that. When some when some clubs walk away, that they are already in negotiation. Uh, with with players, and although that transfers can't be officially registered between before a particular date, deals are done uh, literally from the moment that, uh, that the club is promoted. You know, the the the, the feelers that have been put out uh, be, uh, become concreted, and uh, and progress is made. So it does re- reduce the pool of talent. Uh, if you are trying to get loans from other clubs, especially clubs in the Premier League, perhaps or or from overseas, that that can be sorted that much quicker as well. So. Uh, it's not something that uh, I, I would I would encourage, uh, and, and also uh, the, the playoffs. There is no enjoyment at all oh. in a playoff match unless you're four 0 up in injury time. That's when you can start to relax. The rest of the time, as anybody's ever watched it, is uh, it, it's it's just tension. <laughs> There's no no pleasure. <laughs> well, everyone, everyone says, "Oh, it's the best way to go up." But it, it's only the best way to go yeah. up if you know one hundred percent that you're going to go up. Yeah. Through yeah. the playoffs, if if you're guaranteed a spot in a, a, a promotion, then fine, it is great. But it, until that until that final whistle goes, it's horrible. I hate. I don't even like watching them. Too much at stake. <laughs> Evan Smith has our next question, and Evan says, if a club agrees add-ons such as winning the FA Cup, sell-on clauses, number of goals, etc., when does this agreement end? Is it the, the end of a player's contract? Is it after X number of years or until a new contract is signed? If a selling club had hugely lucrative clauses inserted, could the buying club renegotiate the player's contract and avoid those clauses if they were contract life or original contract based? Right. I mean, this this is a good point that Evan raises, but there, there is always protection from the selling club's point of view to prevent the buying club after six months saying, oh, you've done remarkably well, we're going to give you an extra you know, five grand a week. And, and that, that uh, nulls or uh, nulls the original contract. So um, the, the contract is between the two football clubs rather than the, the buying club and the football player. And therefore, it will be linked to that player's uh, achievement 
achievements uh, in terms of participation, being part of a successful club that uh, that wins trophies, international caps, um, etc., rather than any private negotiations between the player and the club. Now, if if the if the player signs a, a four year contract and that that gets extended to to five or six after a couple of years, again, I think the the, the selling club. My, my, my granddaughter just appeared at the window. Oh, so that's the that's a happy bark, is it? Is it happy? Oh, yeah, he's very excited now. Oh, yeah, right. you start to hear some squeaking now. Um, <laughs> oh, is that happy? Is is that happy? Yes. <laughs> um, so, so the whole purpose here is to is to protect the um, is is to protect the selling club. Um, and yeah, that that be built in. Yeah, they they will have uh, legal, they will have taken legal advice to make sure that they don't lose out. Uh, sometimes these 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 deals can not be particularly beneficial. Um, I, I seem to remember when Brighton sold Bobby Zamora to Spurs. Um, there was a sell-on clause, and then they swapped him for Jermaine Defoe uh, with West Ham, um, and that was agreed between the two clubs at, at a fee that uh, that Brighton didn't get any of the sell-on. So it, it can it can be manipulated. But uh, in the main, it's protection for the the selling club. Are you sure Finley's happy? He sounds, sounds to me like he doesn't like kids. <laughs> uh, now he's, he's got a he's got a training shoe in his mouth and he's squeaking because he he he, he gets so excited that he, he he knows that he can't. He gets so excited that he it doesn't want to nip people, but he just, he just wants to to say hello to them with his with his mouth. Um, so therefore, he he has learnt to put uh, to put one of my shoes in his mouth. So therefore, he can't bite somebody. <laughs> Ah, he just wants to say hello with his mouth. That's, uh, yes. that's probably a euphemism somewhere. Um, uh, Chris Swain, this is an interesting one. Chris Swain uh, points out not just football is played at Old Trafford, James's Park, Bramall Lane, the DW Stadium, and many more. For example, Rugby League, which is played at quite a few stadiums. Is this mm. a good earner for the clubs? And is income from those other sports able to go on their books for FFP? Well, if, if we answer the the, the second question first, yes, this would be deemed to be commercial income from the utilisation of, of the pitch. So therefore, it would be allowed for profitability and sustainability purposes. Um, with regards to um, how much do they get, it, it varies. Um, there, uh, I, I don't know whether people have been aware, but there's, there's, there's a, bit of dis- a bit of a dispute taking place at present between Rochdale Football Club and Rochdale Hornets. Oh, okay. um, with with who who play at uh, you know, what I call Spotland, but he's now it was the Crown Arena. I think they might have changed the name again. Um, and and uh, the the uh, the rugby club pay. I think it's a it's a five figure fee. I think but it's, I think it's about I think it's about sixteen grand. I seem mm. to remember seeing for for the use of the the stadium during the year. Um, so it, it it's it's not necessarily the rent. I mean, the rent is one issue. Um, if you've got a uh, if you've got a concert taking place there during the summer, uh, you, you know, with, with the Stones playing at Anfield, uh, you know, I, I went to see the Killers at the Etihad. Um, they they will get a a pretty sizable uh, six figure fee uh, potentially could be up as far as a million um, from the promoter. But the big issue is what's going to happen to the uh, hospitality and kiosk spend. 
So, you know, it would normally, the, the, the football club would probably try to arrange that they take, uh, say, 90% of the, the hospitality spend for, for that for that match. And, and that's how the club will make additional money. Um, and for, a, for, you know, for a club such as Spurs, who, you know, Spurs are, we've said this, are very, very smart. They've, mm. they've got uh, much Bigger concourses than at the old stadium, they're making they're making somewhere between eight hundred grand to a million pounds per match from Premier League match um, in, in in respect of the uh, of, of the, the hospitality spend um, and the the, the catering. Uh, when the NFL come to town, by all accounts, and I've, and I've not managed to to see an NFL match. Uh, at the Spurs Stadium because the tickets sort of sell out in, straight in, away, in, yeah, straight away, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I, I believe the the price of a pint is jacked up because uh, NFL fans are used to paying premium prices uh, for yeah for, for that particular sport. So that's that's the big issue. It's not just the rental fee; it's it's the ancillary income that you can generate, um, and that can be very lucrative. The, the problem with having other sports and concerts on your pitch is that we all know the grumpiest employee at every football club <laughs> is the groundsman. I don't know what yes. it is in their in their in their psyche. They are the bass players, uh, basically of football. They're just you, you very rarely meet a happy-go-lucky bass player. And it's the same. It's the same with groundsmen. They are just. I. I just wouldn't want to be the person who says to them, "You know that pitch you love so much, the one you can't sleep at mm. night because you worry about it." We've got uh, rugby league on Sunday, and we've got the Rolling Stones on Monday. Just. But we bought you a new fork to take the divots out. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not all bad news. <laughs> <laughs> Neil Greenwood. Um, again, it's an interesting one. I, I think the authorities have caught up with Neil Greenwood's mm-hmm. question, actually, um, which indicates that this may be one from <laughs> at the bottom of our two-year waiting list pile. Uh, Neil says there are many different patterns shown on the pitch in the way the grass is cut. Uh, are there any rules against a sponsor's logo being shaded onto the pitch in such a way? Right. Well, uh, I, I refer you, Neil, to Rule K20 of the Premier League 2022-23 handbook, um, which specifically says that um, the the pitch can only be cut in vertical lines from one goal mouth to the other. Um, mm. So some, some of the, yeah, there used to be some fantastic uh, yes. pitch creations. Um, and, and all of that has now been prohibited. So therefore that would also include uh, the prohibition of uh, logos. Now, yeah, we, we've we've seen this in, in other sports. Could there could there be an agreement between the Premier League and some of the the broadcasters that they can put a they can put an overlay a logo on the pitch? And everything's up for negotiation, mm. uh, as far as I can make out. Um, now, now, yeah, whether that uh, whether that would need the the approval of, of FIFA or UEFA as well, or whether they've even thought of it, we, we don't know. But so, yeah, we, we, we've certainly seen it at cricket and other sports as well. Um, but look, I, I sort of I, I went into the uh, the pitch dimensions section. I went, I looked mm. at the the pitch section of the the Premier League handbook because. I am a sixty-year-old chartered accountant, so therefore, by definition, I have no friends. <laughs> and um, so, so how, how better a way to spend uh, a, a Sunday morning? And, and uh, there, there is now a, a, a fixed uh, dimension for a Premier League pitch. All mm. pitches are supposed to be one hundred and five times sixty-eight uh, meters uh, in size. Uh, so I don't know how this was agreed, but uh, there are 
six clubs who are non-compliant, Chelsea, Palace, Liverpool, Fulham, Everton and Forest, because historically their stadiums were built in such a way that their pitches are slightly smaller. Um, but it, it does appear that the, you know, the Premier League is, is trying to get a standardisation uh, as, as much as it can. Uh, so I don't know why this particular rule was introduced. Because you, you, you remember... Uh, Years ago, there used to be stories. Of, oh, Tony Pulis uh, has reckoned that you know, with with Manchester United coming to town, and their wingers going to tear his team apart. He's asked the groundsman to to reduce the width of the Stoke pitch by mm. by four yards on either side. Um, that, so that's it's to stop that type of behaviour. And once a club commits to to pitch dimensions for the season, it's got to be for all of the matches. You know, Malcolm Allison, when he was manager of Palace, had the pitch widened. So it made life easier for Peter Taylor, the winger. Oh, but of course, Malcolm yeah. Malcolm didn't think that through because it just made life easier for every other club's wingers <laughs> as well, which is why we got relegated two seasons running. Um, the, the new regulations, Kieran, are, are they presumably to do with VAR? Perhaps make life easier for them, so you can you've got fixed lines for them to look at when they're making decisions, or do they they impose their own lines? I suppose, don't they? On, um, I, I'm not sure. It, it could could be linked. I'm, I'm not. Uh, there, there's nothing in the the handbook uh, that, that refers the pitch to to VAR. Uh, yeah, that that would they would normally be set up at the start of the season by the clubs and the uh, and, and the big wigs who 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 do do the, the wonky lines. Yeah, do you, do you know what really annoys me about? So I've been reading those handbooks for a separate project for the FA's uh, ground guidelines and the Premier League's ground guidelines, and they refer to four sides of the pitch, which really annoys me. Because <laughs> I know I'm wrong, because it's two sides and two ends, surely. Yes, no, exactly. Yeah, you'd, you'd, you'd think, wouldn't you? Maybe I'll, I'll have a word with it next time. You're at Wembley today, Kieran. See if you can buttonhole an official and have a word with <laughs> yeah, Never mind this football. We, we've, yeah. got, we've got a pitch inquiry. Exactly. Um, Mark Yellen, uh, interesting name, and an interesting question as well, actually. And this seems to me to make perfect common sense. Would it be possible, says Mark, for a player to stipulate that they would like their contract to end in January rather than at the end of the season? I would imagine given the shortage of available players for sale in the January window, with most selling clubs unwilling to let top players leave, this would be a chance for a player to increase their demand tenfold and seal a big mood ahead of the rest of the market. Um, Would it be possible... uh Yes, because we we do see players come in on short term contracts, uh, especially in the lower leagues. So uh, I think from a legal perspective, that that would be feasible. Um, I, I think if I was that player's representative, I, I wouldn't be necessarily that keen for a January transfer because if we are talking about a player moving from one big club to another, uh, remember that player is going to be cup tied from a Champions League perspective. Mm-hmm. If if you know if, you, if you're going from say. If uh, Chelsea have a player who has a, a contract which ends on the thirty first of January, uh, if he's played for Chelsea in in the uh, in, in the Champions League, he, he can't go to Juventus, he can't go to Real Madrid, he can't go to Liverpool, etc. So that would, I think, would reduce the the demand uh, from from other clubs for for the player services. And um, you know, f- football is, is is a very strange vehicle. You know, players. Uh, Players' stock, as, as we know, goes up and down in a very volatile way. Uh, you know what happens if the player's just had two or three stinking months, uh, all, all of a sudden he's, he's out of favour, um, and and you and the the downside is the the buying clubs might not be looking to sign a player until 
June or July because the players that they've got at the club, their contracts don't expire to July, so therefore they can't shift them off the wage bill. So um, I think it's it, it's technically feasible, um, but I don't think it would work in practice. And and we've got remember we've got the we've got the National League, uh, which allows clubs to sign players on ten month contracts. I think uh, you know, when we had. Uh, when we'd leave from the, one of the goalkeepers from from the National League, he was, he was telling us to get the contracts end in April, and effectively May and June they they don't have employment because mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the season's ended. Um, so yeah, from, if if I was a player, I'd, I'd I'd want my contract to end when when the others players did because just just security of tenure. Our next question, Kieran, comes from Jack Preston, which is a great name, but just imagine. Sky sports commentators would explode, wouldn't they? Imagine Jack Preston was a player in the championship and he played for Blackburn. <laughs> they were just, oh my God, they wouldn't be able to cope with Preston playing for Blackburn. This is a question that won't go away. It happened a long mm. time ago, but fans of all clubs are still asking this question. And Derby County fans, uh, spoiler alert, you're you're in this question, but it's it's not bad news, don't worry. But Jack's question is, could Derby County still make a legal claim against QPR for losses incurred when losing to them in the 2014 playoff, uh, playoff final? Um, at a time, as we know, that QPR were not just flouting financial fair play rules, but hitting them with a sledgehammer, essentially. Mm. As a follow-up, as the idea is preposterous, says Jack, do you agree that clubs should not be suing other clubs? And if anyone is to be sued, surely it must be the governing Body. I mean, it's also a topical question, Kieran, because we saw that Burnley were threatening to sue mm. Everton um, and then decided not to. So it is it's it is quite an up to date question. But I I suspect you do think clubs shouldn't be suing each other, don't you? But could Derby County still have a claim against QPR after all these years? Um, th- this is something which I've I've always wondered about, mm. um, and I've I've even spoken to some Derby fans, and they said. Well, yeah, on the day we 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 lost the match, mm. um, and, and they, they've seemed remarkably philosophical about it. I, I'd, I'd have been spitting tax. Well, um, got, to be fair, they've had other things on their mind recently, Kieran. True. It, it yeah. might, it might. But once they're third in the championship in at Christmas, they might look for something else to be angry about and, and come back to this one. But, um, but in, I would say. Uh, they probably had a case at the time. I, I think, yeah. You know, whilst there's no formal statute of limitations, as far as I'm aware, um, in respect of uh, of when a claim can be made, the fact that they've been through two or three sets of owners since then and been in administration, somebody must have looked at this and, and made a decision. Have they spoken to? Have they taken legal advice with regards to it? I highly suspect that they have, uh, and it could be that the legal advice was this could be expensive, slow, and we don't think you've got a very good chance. Um, again, if, if we if we look for precedent, I, I always go back to the the Carlos Tevez Sheffield United versus mm. West Ham claim, mm. and, and uh, uh, Sheffield Sheffield United did make a, a successful claim in the region of around about twenty million pounds um, with with respect to Carlos Tevez's registration. Um, but I think they would probably struggle now. I, I, I don't think there's a desire for it. Um, I'm, I'm I'm appearing on a law show on Tuesday, so I, I will ask uh, some of the, the the legal people who are there uh, for, for their opinion 
Uh, yes. Although it's too late, <laughs> too late for Monday's podcast. Um, with regards to uh, the, the, the follow-up questions uh, from, from Jack, um, do I agree that clubs should not be suing other clubs? Well, this is, yeah, in an ideal world, we, we would be playing in a Corinthian spirit in, in the game of football and there would be no, 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 no need for any of this. Now, I, I've heard anecdotally, and I, I have to say here, I've got no idea whether this is true or not. So it could be somebody that was doing that. You know, as a result of all of the disputes that have been going on, um, the, 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 the EFL who have sort of been on the hook for some of this because mm. their, their legal bill has gone up from around about £300,000 a year to £4 million. Now, that could be complete codswallop. Um, but uh, it does show that we are we are living in an increasingly litigious uh, sporting environment because the rewards for success are so great and and the the, the penalties for relegation and not achieving success are so high. Um, uh, Jack says, "Is anybody is going to be sued? Surely it must be the governing body." There, there, I would disagree because you know, in the case of Queens Park Rangers, they were in breach of the rules. Mm. They did not publish their accounts until they had been promoted to the Premier League. So the EFL didn't know what was happening. Now, could we have? Uh, yeah, could we have a system of real time monitoring? Uh, where where the uh, regulatory authorities are able to see overspending by clubs as it is happening um, and be able to act uh, uh, in a quicker manner. I, I think that is a step forward, and, and I think some of the organisations have made that step. But I don't think, uh, you know, it, it's a bit like uh, should my employer be, uh, should my, my employer be sued because you know something that I do uh, as an employee, and, and that's not the case. You know, we, you 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 have a a, de- you know, a degree of professional responsibility, but uh, you, you you know if if somebody goes postal, um, you know, an individual member, there's very little you can do about it. So I was thinking of suing you, Kieran, because your dog's barking is not conducive to my hearing. Um, <laughs> right. Just just for the publicity, because as as we've seen in the last couple of days, I mean, Jamie Vardy's missus has never had such publicity. I mean, we'd be getting 10,000 extra listeners a week here. I mean, it might cost me a fortune in legal fees, but I think it's probably worth it to get on the front page of The Sun, isn't it? Um, Man bites dog, yes. (laughs) The Carlos Tevez thing, you know, I've said that groundsmen were the grumpiest people in football. I I interviewed Neil Warnock while the Carlos Tevez... Thing that's going on. <laughs> just just for that period of time, I think you can take it as a given that Neil Warnock was the grumpiest person in in football. Um, the the rules would change, Kieran, wouldn't they? When because uh, QPR got promoted to the Premier League, yeah, uh, and the, the then as you say, the EFL found out that they'd been playing fast and loose with the FFP rules. Uh, but there's, the Premier League refused to do anything about it. the Premier League wouldn't impose any sanctions. So did did the EFL? wait for QPR to come down and impose any punishment on them? I can't remember. Well, it, it took four years for the uh, judgment to come through. There, there was uh, there was a claim by the EFL. So so QPR were back in uh, in the English Football League by the time the judgment came through. Um, and I think, I think this was the first time I, I've had any uh, dealings with our good friend Nick DeMarco because somebody leaked the report to me so yeah me i'm, I'm not i'm not mischievous yeah no, i'm, not I'm no more mischievous than i am cynical indeed uh, so i so i decided to stick it up on social media uh, and <laughs> <laughs> uh, and nick uh sort of politely cleared me and, and, 
any chance you could just remove that? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not public yet. I was like, yeah, yeah, fine. Um, so, so, uh, uh, so, so yeah, it, it was it was a very interesting case uh, in the sense that the Premier League have now agreed that they will uh, impose fines, which have been determined by uh, the EFL uh, charge committee, but they will not impose any points deductions because they say it will reduce the competitive balance of our competition. Remember, yeah, we, we've seen in in the last two seasons, clubs have been relegated from the EFL Championship on the basis of points deductions. Yeah, we've had Sheffield Wednesday followed by Derby County. Mm. And the, the Premier League says... We, 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 we have sympathy for you. If you want to go and find somebody, so Leicester have paid a fine, Bournemouth have paid a fine, I think Fulham have paid a fine as well um, when, when those have been levied by the EFL. Uh, we, we will impose those fines through, through – we have the, the ability to do so in terms of distribution of monies, but uh, we won't go as far as points deductions. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Now, Kieran, we haven't had any uh, reason to criticise producer guy for quite some time, um, which is a bit boring because I used to enjoy <laughs> it. Um, but uh, we have a question here. The question before Jack Preston's question about Derby was all about contracts. Now, if I'd been putting these questions together, I would probably have put another question about contracts off the back of the question about contracts rather than having uh, a little uh, pause in between. But the producer guy has decided to just randomly throw these questions. He's obviously bored this week and he's just thrown them against the wall and uh-huh. seen which one trickled down to the skirting board first. But this question comes from Andrew Leishon. Um, apologies if I pronounced that wrong, Andrew, but I hope I haven't. But Andrew Leishon says it's a very simple question. It's probably the shortest question we've ever had. Can clubs force players to leave before their contracts expire? 
Um, in the case of gross misconduct, then yes, they would be able to terminate the contract with with uh, with, with immediately. Um, with regards to uh, other conditions, um, they they could come to an agreement with the player uh, and effectively pay up the contract. That would be one thing. So you know, let's say we've got a player who's, who's he's fallen out with a manager. Uh, yeah, we, we've got to January, February. It's quite clear he's not going to play again. Um, in order, in order just to have the player not coming to training, not having taking up the time of the physio, not bitching about the manager and the chairman to the other players all the time. You, you can't. There have been circumstances where it's called into the office. Look, here's an amount of money on your bike. Uh, yeah, we, we've agreed it with your agent. You're, you're not going to lose anything. It's, yeah, it's, it's your full, full payment. That's fine. So that, that's one way of doing it. And another way of doing it sort of is if a player's in the final year of his contract and he's, his face, for whatever reason, doesn't fit, you send him out on loan for the full season and pay all of his wages. Mm-hmm. Now, this is this is rumoured, and again, I cannot say this with, with any degree of certainty. I, I, I believe this might have been the case uh, for, for Danny Drinkwater, who, who had a move to Chelsea, uh, you know, if we recall, and mm. th- things, things didn't work out for him professionally and personally. And, and you know, this, this is, you know, the, the, we are dealing with young men and, and their lives. Um, but he went on loan to Reading, and certainly from people that I spoke to, um, they said that, that Chelsea were were paying all of his wages for that final season. They they wanted the player to give an op, you know, to be given an opportunity to to, to to ply his trade, but they didn't want him at the club, um, and and it suited all parties for that to be the case. Well, speaking of Chelsea, guys, uh, accidentally back in the good books because his next question is about Chelsea, but he wasn't to know that you were going to mention Danny Drinkwater, so. No credit to him. Patrick Burke has this question. And again, this is a a subject that comes up quite a lot with football fans or non-Chelsea fans, certainly. FIFA are looking to impose restrictions on the number of loan players that clubs can bring in and send out. Now, Chelsea, as we know, have had loads of players on loan for the last few years. And restrictions would mean they'd be limited to eight, reducing to six in several years' time. How significantly would this impact Chelsea's finances, their current business model, and would there be any immediate FFP implications? Also, could a club like Man City use other clubs who are part of the City group to bypass these rules? Mm. Yes, yeah, a good, good follow-up to that one from Patrick yeah. as well. Um, let, let's just, again, go go through this in turn. Um, uh, Patrick's exactly right. I think at one stage, Chelsea had something like 41 players yeah. out on loan. Yeah. Um, the FIFA rules... I don't actually will hugely impact uh, clubs, uh, e- even clubs such as Chelsea, because the the FIFA rules only apply to players who are over twenty one. So if, oh, you, if you think about you know players such as Tammy Abraham, Mason Mount, you know uh, that they've all gone out on loan uh, to to again to, to to get the the benefits of uh, you know the, the increased competition that you would get from playing in the championship and, and playing in an overseas market as well. Um, so it only applies to, to players who are over 21. Um, the FIFA loan rules are actually quite intriguing. They only apply to international uh, loans as well, so not, not necessarily domestic. Um, you are restricted to a maximum of three players from club to club, which I think is actually quite good because – uh, you know the, the the Premier League's potential desire to have some sort of glorified B teams, which appeared to mm. be part of their new deal. I think that that would fall foul 
of of the FIFA loan rules. Um, they've all FIFA rules there now said that loans can be for a maximum of one year. And if, and if we refer back to Chelsea, um, they signed was it the Colombian winger uh, Juan Cuadrado, um, who joined Chelsea on on the strength of a good World Cup, didn't work out, and then they then they sent him to Juventus on a three year loan, which just seemed ludicrous yeah, but yeah. i think there were financial fair play implications there um so i i don't think chelsea would be hugely impacted and, and it's got to be said that you know Ch- chelsea are, are very very good at, at selling players and i don't think they get a huge amount of credit for this but in, in the course of the last decade uh they, they've sold players for over 820 million pounds which is uh, you know, it's it's a constant, uh, you, you, and you look at some of those players. You know, the likes of Tamori and, and Abraham's who have, who have gone, Tammy Abraham have gone, as well as some of the you know, the star players who have, uh, you know, Costa and so on that, uh, that have moved on, and 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 their ability to shift players to China when when the Chinese market was really hot was was really clever of them. Um, so that they've always been a very good club from a, from a financial perspective uh, in terms of moving players on and generating money from that. Uh, whilst these these loan rules on the face of it look restrictive, I don't think that Chelsea or any of the other, even the big Premier League clubs, have that many over twenty one players. You know, are they going to put six of them out on loan overseas in a year? Mm. I, I don't think so. And if they can't do that, then then we go to sort of the Danny Drinkwater situation where where you'll just find a domestic club uh, who who you, who you can uh, utilise. And you know, but all parties tend to be happy. Yeah. And what about the follow up question? The Man City could they? I, mean, I presume the idea from Patrick would be that City could you know send one of their players to one of their other City Group teams and loan them from there. Um, well, yes, and and to stop that, and yeah, you know, I'm 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 not always the biggest fan of FIFA, but they they do appear to have their eye on the ball with respect to this. Is that you're not allowed to to do sub loans, so, so you can't loan right. it to another okay. part of the City Football Group, who then loans it out right. to somebody okay. else. Right. Um, so that that is now prohibited. So so that they certainly have tightened up the rules. They're aware of the the potential implications of the multi club ownership model. Yeah, again, I, th- I think we may have to have a new verbal rule uh, cool. or grammar rule for future pods because as we were talking about this question, uh, it got very cloudy and overcast and it just started to rain, which, of course, I love. But I suspect it might be my my dear father-in-law, God rest his soul, uh, expressing his displeasure because one of the things he hated was using the word impact as a verb. Oh. So, yeah, so I, I think we might have to uh, have a golden rule on this one, everybody. No more using impact. So it's, it's so we, next time we say, will this have an impact? Right, I know young people will be ignoring me because I'm used to that as I'm a parent. But, you know, if <laughs> if we could, just to, just to avoid the sound of my father-in-law spinning in his grave. Um, Peter Fawkes has our penultimate question. And we haven't asked answered this question before, which surprises me, Kieran, because, again, it's one of those things – that all football fans uh, will ask, especially around yes. January time. All football fans will ask this question. Because, of course, while we're, we're really happy and proud that we have players that are representing their countries, uh, this is the question that Peter Fawkes puts. When players are released from their respective clubs for the African Cup of Nations or for other reasons, do the clubs still need to pay the wages for that period of time? Or are the players essentially on unpaid leave and can't perform their employment duties, i.e. playing the fixtures, so therefore don't get paid? 
Right. Uh, clubs clubs are obliged to pay wages during this this period. Uh, that that that's a FIFA rule, uh, and the rule is that. Uh, when a national association uh, asks a player to represent the country, then the player must re- the the club must release the player, but the 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 player is still employed by the club, and therefore the club has a, a legal obligation mm. to pay those wages. Um, I, I suspect, uh, and, and I don't want to uh, disrespect any player who, who wants to take this up with me at all. Um, you know, if if I was a successful Premier League player on £100,000 a week or more and AFCON comes along and it, it's going to you know, be a month-long tournament, if I was, you know, if, if it cost me half a million pounds as a player to represent my nation for a month mm. and I wasn't going to get paid, I, I think we would see a lot of players suddenly taking early retirement. And that's not to criticise the players. You know, they, they do have families. They do have uh, financial responsibilities on a much broader sphere. Um, but um, I I I think we would have seen, uh, especially in in the Premier League, where where we do have a lot of players who who represent their nations in Afcon, uh, we would would have would have seen a lot of players finding excuses to to not take part in the tournament because the the individual football associations in Africa themselves don't tend to be wealthy, mm. so therefore they what what they pay the players is is pretty low level during the course of that tournament, and 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 it would no way reflect or be comparable to the earnings of the player um, that, uh, from from the Premier League or, or the other big leagues in Europe. I do sometimes wonder, Kieran, whether uh, high-profile uh, African players could miss out on lucrative transfers because a club says, look, we've already got three or four players that we're going to be missing in January. Mm. As good as this player is, perhaps we should look elsewhere. Do you think that's possible? Oh, it's, it, it it absolutely happens. I can right. assure you. Okay, uh, yeah. You, you, you talk you talk to people at clubs, and uh, they they they're looking at their twenty five man squad for the course of the season, and you know if if they're going to be in a relegation battle, if, if they're potentially going for the Premier League, you, you don't want to lose four players, and you can understand the frustration uh, from from the club's point of view. But uh, you know, if, if if I got an opportunity to to, to represent. You know my my country of birth or my country of heritage. Um, I, I take it like a shot, and and I, I'd be just so proud in doing so. So you, I think that the clubs have to be aware of this when they're doing their their broader planning. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it's it's one of those things, isn't it? I think there's been a, a shift in supporters' attitudes in the past couple of years. Actually, I mean, whereas it just used to be a nuisance, now I think most mm. fans are actually genuinely pleased. I mean, we you know, Czech Kiati won Afcon this year, and fans were delighted. But you know, five or six seasons ago, it was kind of like, oh my god, this is the Premier League, so they can't leave mm. just to play that. Mm. But I think that attitude, thankfully, has, has changed, and clubs are genuinely proud that they have players representing their countries but again not to the extent that you kind of hope they don't get through the group stages because you want them back for a, an important game our last question comes from gareth williams uh, and i think this is a very interesting one kieran and mm. it's, it's not one that i've ever really considered before gareth says why do individual clubs set their own ticket pricing many leagues and different sports across the world have centralized set pricing um Yes, uh, I think the reason for this, uh, Gareth, is that the Premier League is not a franchise competition. 
So with with the French with the with the franchise competition, you have centralization of revenues, you have centralization of costs to a certain extent, um, and therefore everybody agrees to change to charge the same price. It, it's a bit like McDonald's. Yeah, with, there's been a big kerfuffle this week, hasn't there? That the price of a McDonald's cheeseburger has has increased uh, for the first time in 14 years I, I, from I, I have to say 99 it, pence to one pound 19. Really, that's it's it's passed me by that, Kieran. I have to say, <laughs> it's been a lot going on this week. <laughs> I'm afraid that was that from page of the Daily Mail? I didn't, I, I, I didn't I'm know. Not sure, I'm not sure. I imagine but, it would be Rishi Sunak's fault if it wasn't the, the Daily Mail. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Everything else is at present. Um, but but that's, that's a countrywide agreement that McDonald's have with its franchisees that you're going to charge 99 pence for this. You're going to pay, charge £1.19 for that. Um, whereas as far as the Premier League, the EFL, the National League are concerned, they are not franchises. They are they are member-owned organisations. Um, so therefore, in, in terms of pricing strategy, it it depends upon demographics. It depends upon the size of the, fi- the fan base. It depends upon the level of demand. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'll quite happily criticise clubs when I think they warrant it. But if you take a look, even at the big clubs like Liverpool and Manchester United and, and Chelsea and so on, uh, you know, Liverpool and Manchester United have frozen season ticket prices year in, year out when they could have put those prices up, uh, which I think is, is a good sign uh, in terms of their pricing strategy. Um, what what we are seeing is that I think individual match day prices, those have tended to tick up quite a bit. And, and that sort of reveals the the overall strategy of the club. So, you know, I, I was looking this morning at uh, I was comparing Liverpool to West Ham. Now, West Ham have got a, a bigger capacity stadium than Liverpool. West Ham generate twenty seven million pounds a year from from ticket sales, or they did in the last season before COVID. That compares to eighty four at Liverpool, and you go, well, okay, Liverpool had a few more home games, but they didn't have you know, they didn't pin have three times as many fixtures uh, as West Ham. And, and the reason why Liverpool generate so much more money uh, to, uh, to to quote uh, John Lydon, uh, tourists are money, and um, mm. Liverpool only have twenty seven thousand season tickets. So that means that they've got you know, half of their ground every every match is uh, is being sold to uh, individual ticket holders for whom you can charge a lot more money. Mm. Whereas West Ham, when they moved to the London Stadium, they initially had uh, fifty four thousand season tickets, so they had twice as many season ticket holders as Liverpool, and they were originally selling only three thousand match day tickets, where you can where you can uh, get that price up. I, it looks as if though uh, West Ham have reduced the number of season ticket holders to, to only forty five thousand. I think they've done that through sort of you know as as people don't renew or people pass on or people move on um they, they've they've not uh, released those tickets to, to new people mm. um and and that they've they've realized actually that there is more money to be made from individual ticket holders because they're you know it, it's the attraction it's it's a london ground and so on that doesn't apply to every club mm. um and, and and that's why they have to go and be more kept cautious in in their pricing strategies mm. I don't know about the, the price of cheeseburgers, Kieran. Have you seen the price of Lurpak lately? It's just, <laughs> it's just ridiculous. I, I generally just uh, considered googling how much it would cost to buy a cow and churn my own because it's just, it's just ridiculous. I can, I'm, I'm, I'm just glad that Marlon Brando is no longer with us because you know we will, we will remember. What- <laughs> <laughs> Go- Google it, kids. <laughs> 
<laughs> Even by our standards, that's a niche reference. That's a, <laughs> that's, a, that's a film called Last Tango in Paris, which involved an intimate scene of a graphic nature and uh, several. It would have cost him a fortune. You're right, Ken. They wouldn't have been able to make that film nowadays if they were <laughs> relying on their pack. And I don't think Marjorie would have the same erotic quality, would it? Um, thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to join them and make a small monthly contribution to the pod, go to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. And remember, if you do and you give us £3 to £5 a month, you can avoid the adverts if you so wish. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. Good luck, uh, to the Lionesses against the yes. Frau Lionesses today. Kieran's uh, straining at the leash to get off and get, I was going to say get the coach, but that would be, it's not the 50s, <laughs> is it? But, um, <laughs> we do just have time in the meanwhile to hand over to Kieran for his customary farewell. Well, as always, uh, thank you so much for the support for the show in, in, in the various means that you give to it. Uh, I, I know there was a really positive uh, response to to the the interview we did with with Jason Stockford, which yes. I've got to say was was we we we, we said afterwards it was yes. such a yeah. such a great to engage with Jason, somebody that that has a has a series of values that we you know, we, we could pin to the wall. Absolutely. Um, so um, you you can you can use Patreon as a vehicle uh, for as little as a pound a month. Um, but another way, another way to show you support for the show is is to go on to your podcast app um, and to leave us a review. And, and if you give us five stars, by all accounts, it helps us in the charts, uh, it, it boosts us in the algorithms, um, and, and that just helps in, in terms of our credibility. When when producer guy sends emails to say, "I'm producer guy, you may have heard of me. Um, would, would you like to come on the show?" Uh, it, do, it doesn't matter what you say. Uh, as far as the the review is concerned, you could say that you'd you'd rather have it presented by Steve Lamac and Sammy Davis Jr. <laughs> and yeah, I, 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 I quite like the idea of that because yeah, I, I think that uh, Steve Steve's a Steve's a pretty cool dude. Steve's a very small dude, and, and I think he could probably you know persuade Sammy Davis Jr. to perhaps do a, a cover version of Dickie Davis Eyes by Half Man Half Biscuit, <laughs> or, or even to. To, to sort of get a jamming session with with ball boy or bogshed, and yeah, you know, I'd, I'd I'd be full fully there as as indie dad. I'd be loving every second of that. Yeah, do you think Steve Lamac talks like that all the time? <laughs> that's my that's my big question. I would I, I do you know what? There's um uh, even even if you're ten years of age listening to this, uh, if Google is the most amazing thing, and Bruce Forsyth, who I had the pleasure to work with uh, towards the end of his life was still speaking about it. It's a wonderful clip of Bruce Forsyth and Sammy Davis Jr. dancing on a, a, a TV show from about 1963. Well, it's just fantastic. I, Sammy, I mean, he's, he's the coolest bloke ever, isn't he, Sammy Davis mm, Jr.? Mm. Just, just amazing. That would be, actually, I think that's the, that's my favourite combo for a while, that one, Kieran. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually, I would definitely listen to that one. That would be great. I imagine it would take some time. And every now and again, yes. Sammy Davis Jr. would go, "Man, why are you talking like that? You didn't, you weren't talking like that off, <laughs> off stage before we started. You had this really posh voice." But anyway, bye everybody. Good luck to Lionesses. Bye. The price of football. I'm for the